OMG, you guys! This is episode 100! Can you believe it? I can and I can't simultaneously. I feel like I've definitely had a lot of amazing conversations, but at the same time, it feels like I just started this a minute ago. I feel so blessed and so excited that I've been able to do this, share this with you, make new friends, get amazing feedback. I really just couldn't feel more blessed. And what's really, really exciting is partially thanks to this podcast that I had this experience, I have been hired to do a new podcast called Transforming Trauma by the NARM Training Institute. So you guys have heard me geek out about NARM for months now, and it's paid off. I get to host a podcast for them and it's totally incredible and I feel so I just feel grateful I could just keep saying that over and over and then you're going to be super annoyed by it so if you're just joining us for the first time and you're like what the fuck is this bitch talking about my name is Sarah Buino you are listening to conversations with a wounded healer I'm a psychotherapist in Chicago and host of this podcast host of transforming trauma I teach at a couple universities I sing in a band I do all kinds of shit so it's really hard to keep up but We've done 100 episodes. It's kind of like when you commit to going to the gym, like for your New Year's resolution or something, and you stick with it. That's kind of what this feels like. Like I started this podcast, and I remember Andrea Clunder, my editor, talking about, I went to this seminar that she did, and I remember her saying, whatever you do, you don't want to pod fade. Pod fade is essentially, you know, putting out a couple episodes or a handful of episodes and then kind of just fading away into the distance. I didn't pod fade, you guys. We did it. We did it together. So this is the 100th episode, and I was thinking about what am I going to do to celebrate? And Andrea Clunder, yet again, comes to the rescue. She has a podcast for podcasters, and she was talking about different things that you can do. One of the things that just came to mind, or actually, no, what happened was someone on that episode uh, mentioned what do you want to do to give back to your listeners? And I thought, well, I don't know what they want. They don't tell me. <laughs> but I have two incredible OG listeners who I've gotten to know. They signed up for Patreon. And so we've had conversations and I've gotten to know them over the past, gosh, two years, basically. And since then, we've become friends. And so I just I had this crazy idea of what would it be like to interview them. And truthfully, you know, I was a little scared because when you're interviewing people who haven't been interviewed before and may not necessarily think that they deserve to be interviewed, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, there can be some like self-esteem, self-worth stuff that gets in the way. And so I had no idea how this was going to turn out. But obviously, since I'm releasing it, I am delighted to tell you that this interview felt so incredible. It's proof that we're all healers. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter who we are. We are all healers. And Margaret and Rachel are proof of that. So I am just so, so, so happy to introduce Margaret Rain and Rachel Young. Please enjoy. Margaret, Rachel. Hello. Hi. This is our 100th episode. Can you believe it? <laughs> Woo. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> So for folks who are listening, I just wanted to fill you in that these are some of the OG conversations with the Wounded Healer listeners who I've become friends with. And so how about we start with Margaret? Why don't you tell us who you are and how did you discover the podcast? Well, I am actually a bachelor level social work student as of the last nine months. 
And I'm originally from Chicago area, but I've lived here in Las Vegas for about seven years now. I live here with my significant other and my six-year-old son. I go to school full-time. I'm actually a full-time violin teacher. I have a little music studio out of my house. I also do independent contract work as a paralegal. That was actually my career for about six years. I guess officially retired from that as a full-time job last year and decided to go back to school for social work. Yay! Yeah. And then I just have a variety of hobbies that I fill all of my time with. Uh, (laughs) I love doing like nature photography, making jewelry. Oh my God. Can we stop on that for a second? So Margaret takes the most gorgeous pictures of the moon. You have no idea. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So that's just something I do for fun. And I make jewelry. So lots of like artsy stuff. I compose music. I have a daily meditation practice. So those are kind of like all the other things that I sort of fit in between all the different roles that I play. Right. So Margaret is very bored. <laughs> Sounds like that. <laughs> I she doesn't so do anything with her life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And how did you discover the podcast? I actually discovered your podcast from my best friend, who is a social worker in the Chicago area. And I believe she heard you speak at a conference a couple of years mm-hmm. ago and started listening to the podcast. And she referred it to me because I was going through a really rough time about a year and a half ago. I was just having that sense that my career in law was coming to an end. Mm. It was no longer fulfilling me. I was feeling my energy being pulled in another direction. I just felt I had to do something more fulfilling that would have that feeling of I'm in service to others. So I was really just going through this phase of like, what do I do? Where do I go? Where can I be help? You know, where can I, my services be needed? And she just recommended the podcast. She, it must've just been some like divine intervention. Mm. She was like, I think you just need to listen to this. And I remember listening to, it was probably October last year, 2018. I remember driving to work, listening to the, your introduction to the podcast. And I just started bawling. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, it just, I don't know. There was something about hearing that you can be in service to others and still be on your own journey mm. yourself. I think I had this, this illusion that people who are therapists and people who help mm. others have to have all their shit together already before doing that. And I always felt like, well, I don't have my shit together. So mm. how can I help anybody else? And when I started listening to your podcast, it just made me realize like, no, it's okay. Like I can be on my journey and still help other people as well. That's awesome. That's so great. I love hearing that. Rachel, how about you? Who are you? Uh, Hi, I'm Rachel. I am a flight attendant. Uh, I do not have this long list of impressive shit to tell you guys like Margaret does. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Well, Margaret's a little bit of an overachiever. We've identified that. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That's great, though. I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So I'm a flight attendant and very similar to her story of just like not being super fulfilled and feeling kind of led to do something Mm. else. This is a great job for right now, but it is very much definitely not what I feel like I need to be doing for the rest of my life. You know, I definitely want to be Mm -hmm. doing something else. And actually, like, I think I've wanted to be like a therapist or something like that since I was younger. But um, much like Margaret, I had this idea in my head of like, therapists have their shit together. And like, they're this, you know, perfect person who just like sits on their couch and is like super serious. And I'm just like, I am not that person. Like, I'm just not. So yeah, actually listening to your podcast, it was like the first time that I realized, oh no, like therapists can be human beings and they can Mm -hmm. be flawed and complicated and that's okay. 
so that's been the really probably the main part of my journey in realizing that like I actually do want to go back to school to be a therapist. So and how did you discover the podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to figure that out. Um, I have this very dear friend, April, and she and I are constantly sharing podcast episodes that we like mm-hmm. or just podcasts that we love. So I thought I was like, maybe she shared it with me. So I asked her and she's like, no, you shared it with me. So I don't know how I found it. There's a chance that I heard an episode of a guest of yours on another podcast and then liked them Mm. and then like searched for their name on Spotify for just like other episodes with that person, Mm. like other podcast episodes. Cause Mm. I do that sometimes, but I like tried to retrace everything and I I just don't know. I just like, you know, plopped into my lap and said, listen, listen to me. (laughs) That's, I feel that way about my previous therapist, Susan Lipschitz, who's I think episode 12 or something like that. I have no idea how I found her. It was just like, I know I was Google searching one day and somehow she came up. I don't know. But it was just like, ah, this like divine gift from the universe. Yes. So would you mind actually sharing your ages? Because I'm guessing listeners are probably wondering how old you are and like when you're making these decisions to go back to school and what that might look like. And we can unpack that a little bit. Margaret, do you mind sharing that? Yeah, of course. I'm actually 28 years old. And I made the decision to go back to school last year, and I had always sworn up and down I was not going to go back to school. I previously went to music school mm-hmm. and dropped out because I just knew that's not what I was going to, I was not going to be a full-time performer. So I enjoyed teaching, but was like, nope, this is all I'm going to do. And then mm-hmm. I got the call. So, yeah. All right. So you're 20. That's when I went back to school. I was 20. Oh, nice. I love hearing stories like that. Uh, I'm 30. Similar to Margaret, actually. I went to school when I was younger for music as well. Um, I was like, <gasps> wait a minute. Yeah. All three you of us. did? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Dudes. <laughs> I was a clarinet player. I haven't touched one in ages. So... Uh, We should start a band. (laughs) The amount of people who I've had on here who are musicians, as well as whatever their healing profession is, like tons. Interesting. It's so crazy. Do you think there's some sort of connection there? I... I mean, this is the, this gives us a whole nother thing to open up to, to really talk about the healing power of music, right? And I think, you know, for me, I don't remember if I've shared this. You you guys will probably remember more than I do because I talk so much. I have no idea what I've said to who and where, but (laughs) one of the things like I realized about music was like performing. It's for me and I do it. I don't like the term selfish, so I don't want to say selfishly, but I, but I, I do it for me. I don't really do it for other people. And so the healing, like going into being a therapist was really like, okay, I'm going to do something that's actually really going to serve other people instead of just serving myself, even though like people, oh, your voice, like (laughs) it's lovely, whatever. Even though people say they get something from it, there's something about it that I don't know. And maybe I didn't want to, I definitely know I didn't want the life hustle of a musician because I see my friends do that now. And I'm like, that is hard. And I don't want that. (laughs) Yeah. What do you guys think? Oh, I don't know. I was asking you. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe you had some answer, but I do think that, you you know, you talk about doing it for you, but I do think there's something healing too about seeing somebody do something Mm -hmm. for themselves like that and saying, I'm going to enjoy this thing that simply just makes me happy and makes me feel good, especially as a woman, because as women, you know, we're taught to like do things for other people all the time and not be selfish. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you're able to say, no, like I do this for me because it makes me feel good. It's like, hell yeah. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. point. Definitely. Yeah. Margaret, do you have anything to add? Well, I think Rachel really hit the nail on the head there. You know, it's like if, and I know that you already do a lot of performing still. So I think that's great that you still cultivate that area of your life, even though you are a full-time therapist and mm-hmm. social worker. 
I don't perform as much as I used to. I'd like to, but it's like balancing energy, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, I'm a little bit in the same boat too, because I'm going back to school for social work, but I know music's Mm -hmm. always going to be a part of my life, you know, even Mm -hmm. though I don't perform very often anymore. And I kind of have the opposite thing with performing. I have such horrible stage fright and I'm such a like perfectionist that I think I kind of burnt out of it a little bit Mm. of just, oh, I'm not good enough at this. There's so many other people way better than this. So let me Mm -hmm. just move my shit off the stage and let somebody else way more worthy than me. Come on. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of, that's kind of what happened with me, but I love teaching and it's always going to be a part of my life regardless. Well, what you just said there, I heard both of you say about the potential of becoming a therapist is like, oh, well, I couldn't do it because of this, right? Like, there's clearly other people that are better than me, so I shouldn't even try. And the ways that we can convince ourselves out of something that's really important to us is just so unfortunate, right? It is. Yeah. The other thing I think that's a link between music and therapy is the level of creativity which might be surprising to you, might be surprising to other listeners, but I feel really creatively fulfilled because being a therapist is like you have to improvise all the time. I'd never know exactly what you're going to say, so I can't be prepared, you know? And that's, Margaret, you were telling me like, oh, you'd love to be like prepared and all these things. So when you become a therapist, I'm guessing that's (laughs) going to be a hump for you to get over is how do I do this when there's no way to prepare for it? Exactly. But you know, it's, you made a really great point there. One thing that I hope is sort of a stepping stone in the therapy is my private violin teaching. Because, you know, I've gotten the training to teach Mm -hmm. and, you know, have been teaching for years. So there is like a certain guide that I follow to some degree on how to teach certain, certain repertoires and techniques. Mm. But ultimately, every single child that walks through my door learns completely different. Mm -hmm. And so I do find myself kind of, uh, I call it channeling almost. It's almost like channeling. Sometimes I'll be teaching something to a student and literally words will come right out of my mouth and I will like re-explain it in some new Mm -hmm. way that is not for me. I never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. And suddenly the light bulb comes on in that child's eyes and they're like, oh, I get it. And it's like, okay. So I'm hoping that that's sort of like a little stepping stone in the therapy. I feel like it's going to be sort of something similar. Like you said, someone's going to come to the door and you have no idea what it's going to be like for them that day, what they Mm got to talk about. And just hoping that I can improvise, as you said, on the spot. And Rachel, this is just making me think like on the surface, people would say that your job is not necessarily creative, but customer service jobs, you got to be so fucking creative when you're working with people, right? Oh, yeah. So I'm curious, like, if any of this, if you're thinking about how any of this is going to apply to you becoming a therapist someday. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I stumped her. I stumped her. (laughs) I mean, I've definitely seen how this job has helped me grow in a lot of ways, just in terms Mm. of, like, being patient and understanding which, like, (laughs) people who are so different from me or people who are maybe not necessarily as nice as I would like. Have you ever had to like talk someone down off the ledge, like not literally, but metaphorically? Actually, yeah. So this actually does remind me of a story that I have. Yeah, so I had a a situation where we were boarding a flight and then we got uh, stuck at the gate for a little while and we're just waiting on something, paperwork, I don't know. And a woman hit her call button and she's a little bit frantic and she's like, why aren't we moving? Why aren't we moving? We gotta go, we gotta go. Mm. And I'm like... 
oh, like, we're going to go soon. You know, we're just waiting on whatever. But, you know, we'll be leaving soon. She's like, well, I'm not getting enough air because we're not going. We need to be going. We need to be going. And she's like, I'm, you know, a stroke risk and I have a heart valve. She was talking about these health issues. And we're wondering, like, should you even be on this flight right now? Because if something happens up in the air, we can't help you. We got to, like, divert. We got to land the plane. We need to get you to, you know, actual medical care because we're very limited as far as what we can do. So so she's mentioning all these health things. And I'm like mildly concerned but then I take a step back and I'm like no this woman is just scared this woman is anxious she's stressed out and so I sat with her for a minute and I just like helped her breathe and I told her I said hey well we're still here at the gate right now if at any moment that you feel like you need to get off let me know just hit your call button and we will let you off this plane so she's like Mm. okay okay and you know I asked her if she needed any water whatever so then I go back and we finally start taxiing out. I check on her and she's like, I'm doing fine. I just kind of mm-hmm. held her hand, like sat with her a little bit. We took off. As soon as we get up in the air, I go and check on her. And she's like, oh my God, thank you so much. I'm doing so much better right now. Like you helped me catch my breath. Like wow. I feel great. And I am traveling to go see my grandkids I haven't seen in five years. Uh, one of them hasn't was like recently born, so she hasn't even met them yet. She's like, if you hadn't helped me, I don't think I would have made it. And I wouldn't be going to see my grandkids right now. Oh, so that beautiful. was really beautiful. Oh, wow. And then you guys, to top it off, I am working the, a return flight. Like it was like Dallas to San Francisco or something. Mm. And then like a week later, I'm working San Francisco to Dallas. And I'm in the front greeting all the passengers as they're coming on the plane. And who do I see? This woman is on my flight. And she wow. sees me and she freaks out. She gives me a hug. I knew she needed like space to like breathe or whatever. So I like, she had a seat kind of in the back where she was like crowded and I moved her up towards the front where she had like some space to like breathe and have room. Anyway, once we got up in the air, I sat with her and I chatted for her a little bit and she started crying, telling me about how like, how much it meant to her that she got to see her family and that it was because of me. So, oh my God, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah. So that was probably like my, my favorite flight attendant story that I have, but it meant a lot to me that I was able to support her in that way because not a lot of people can understand mm-hmm. the difference between like, oh, she's talking about health issues versus like, no, yeah. she's having anxiety right now. And that's all that it is. So I was glad that I was able to be there for her in that way. That's incredible. I know. I'm like, I'm starting to tear up. That is so beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yes, <she's> so sweet. <laughs> right. Well, but you were so intuitively connected with what she needed. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's so interesting. I feel like a lot of us that are called into this profession, like we have this, we have this intuitive gift and, you know, a desire to then use it with people. And even though you're not a therapist yet, you haven't even started the going back to school process, like you're doing it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the whole time you were telling the story, I just kept thinking, Rachel's a healer. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> right. That's what I was oh thinking my God. too. That's, so sweet. That's really sweet. Can I ask a question? What is it like for you to hear us give you that praise right now? Because I'm the people can't see you, but I can see mm-hmm. the way that you're responding to this. And I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, that. <laughs> She's putting her hands over her face, hiding from us. What is it like to receive that? I feel like it's a little uncomfortable. I feel like I have potential to grow into that, but I don't feel like that's what I am yet. Especially like, to be honest, I've had an incredibly hard year this last Mm -hmm. year. Sarah and I have talked about this a little bit because I know you've had a hard year too and our nervous systems have both been completely fucked. Yes. (laughs) So I just had a really, really, really hard year. Like one of the hardest years of my life. Like honestly, I didn't know that life could kick the shit out of me 
the way that it has. Thanks, 2019. Last year, I swear. So I've just been dealing with a lot of pain. Like I said, nervous system issues where I'm just kind of like tense and on edge all the time. And like, Mm. I have, I mean, for my entire life, I found a lot of value and meaning and self-worth in being the kind, considerate, patient, caring human being. And when your Mm -hmm. nervous system is on edge all the time, it is Mm -hmm. hard to be that. It is very, very hard. So hard. And, you know, with my job, I'm dealing with people on a regular basis, people who are stressed out, upset, whatever. And I have not been the kind person that I usually am all the time. So I think there's part of me that just is like, I'm kind of dealing with that this year and like coming Mm -hmm. to terms with like, you know, can I love myself in the midst of this, which is not, it's not easy sometimes. So that's kind of been a part of my journey. It was just like this last year is like learning like a lot of like really intense self-love whenever like my self-worth was based on this thing that I can no longer provide for other people. So it's mm-hmm. kind of transitioned into like before I think it was so much about like, what can I do for other people? How can I love other people? And now it's like, okay, now I need to actually learn how to love myself and take care of myself because I'm not great at it. I am just relating so fucking hard <laughs> right now. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly it for me. Yeah. yeah. Margaret, do you relate to I do. You know, I, with the growth spurts, I feel like the pattern of the spiral really resonates with me because I feel like I go through this spiral journey of going through like series of dark nights of the soul. People talk about dark nights of the soul. And I'm like, there's not just fucking one (laughs) because I have Mm -hmm. them all the time. So I'll go through those like a few months of just really intense, shitty growth. Painful. Exactly. And part of that is like what Rachel just described. I find myself beating myself up in the lack of self-love and how sad is that? And then I have that part of me that wants so badly to help other people that I'll put everybody else first before myself. So trying to keep that in check. So I feel like it's just a constant cycle of like peeling an onion. You work through some shit. Okay. And I think, oh, maybe I fixed that problem. Six months later, it shows up again in another way. And I'm like, oh, damn it. (laughs) Oh, well, that that's a good, I think, segue into the healer and wounded healer question, you know, and I, I'm curious how you guys apply those terms to yourself and what you think about them in, in general in the world. So, Rachel, do you want to go first about the term healer? Can Margaret go first? <laughs> Can Margaret go first? <laughs> Sure. I've got all my notes because I'm crazy. Of course. Of course. <laughs> Healer as defined in Webster's Dictionary. <laughs> hey, you know what? I almost did that. I seriously almost did that. Amazing. I was trying to do some journaling yesterday about what do the terms healer and wounded healer mean to me? And the urge came up to, I'm going to Google it. And then I was like, no, we are not going to Google <laughs> you it. You are not going to Google it. Amazing. <laughs> So I intentionally did not Google it. So one thing that came up when I thought about the terms healer and wounded healer, first of all, is, oh my gosh, as listeners, we get to totally cheat and piggyback off of all the people we've heard. Right. Right. right? (laughs) So I started writing down the things that have resonated with me from other guests that you've had on the podcast. And the one thing that I have heard a lot, which does resonate with me, and I know you're sick of hearing this probably, Sarah, but like the conduit, like that really resonates with me, you know, being a channel and a conduit for something else coming through to that person. But with healer, the term healer, you know, I feel like everybody's a healer. You know, every single person. I mean, Rachel just described that amazing story. She was just a flight attendant on a plane, but she was needed that day on that plane with that person. And she was able to 
facilitate a healing, you know, a, a moment of healing right there. And I think that everybody has the capacity to do that. I feel like we're all like closet light workers. It's just those little moments here and there throughout life where we're with the right person that needs that and something just comes out of us. So I really feel like that's just a term that can apply to everybody. Doesn't matter if you're a social worker or a therapist or you are just checking out people at the grocery store. You can be a healer. I agree. What do you think, Rachel? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Yeah, when it comes to like hearing everyone's answers, you know, because I've listened to obviously all of the episodes. Obviously. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) (laughs) And I think there's validity to all of the answers, you know? So I think because, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like she kind of, picked like the ones that resonated with her. But for me, I think after hearing so many of the answers, I'm like, yeah, but they're all true. Like all of them. There's not really any one answer that I feel like necessarily resonates more with me personally. I just kind Mm -hmm. of agree with with all of it. I think everyone's perspective on it is really solid. Mm. Well, how about the term wounded healer? Yeah, I I like that term, especially because well, especially after this really hard year, I feel fucking wounded, but right. I feel oh like, my God. Right? Limping across the finish line towards 2020. <laughs> Seriously. If 2020 <laughs> isn't a better year, I'm going to shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be a quote in the episode. If 2020 is not a better year, I will shit my pants. <laughs> but yeah, no, I do like the idea of like a wounded healer and that, you know, we've all been through trauma. We've all been through really hard things and it's through those hard things that we're able to like have more empathy and compassion with others. Like I was talking about like this year where my nervous system is on fire and I'm kind of like crankier than normal. And, you know, that's hard, but that it's at the same time, I'm able to empathize with other people more who are cranky instead of being like, well, this person's a jerk. Mm. This person's just an asshole. Like, why are they taking out their bad day on me? It's not my fault. I didn't do anything. I have really, really been able to turn that around to like, this person is in pain. I don't know Mm. why. I don't know what's going on inside of them, but they're very clearly in pain. And I can have compassion for that piece much more easily now than I could before when it was just so easy for me to be kind to everybody. Yeah, well, that's so beautifully put. I mean, Rachel, I resonate with that too. We go through these these really rough patches in life where we're really put through the shitter and then we come out the other side and and see the higher lesson in it and recognize, oh, okay, now I can use that experience to help other people that are going through similar experiences and or to even just have empathy for someone that was rude to you at the grocery store or that mm-hmm. that jerk that cut you off on the highway and just go, you know what, that person's having a rough day. I'm going to send them some love and energy. Sure. Yeah. I really think about it in terms of my work. If I got to this level and I, I say this shit and then I forget it as soon as I'm in pain, but if I got to this level in my life where I didn't feel the depth of grief and hurt and anger and all that I've been experiencing over really the past two years, if I if I didn't still touch that on a semi-regular basis, I would forget how hard it is with my clients, you know? And then again, like same struggling with empathy, but on a different level, I think I would have higher expectations of people in therapy to like heal quicker or something if I lost touch with how hard it is. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the spiral again. You know, right. we go through... We go through a rough phase and then we go through a little breather where our higher self is like, okay, good job in that round. I'm going to let you relax mm-hmm. for a second. And then we're going Just in for a second two. though. <laughs> yep. Yeah. We go through those cycles of growth and we keep hitting the problem at deeper and deeper levels. And then I'm sure yeah. as a therapist, I mean, that's so important keeps us humble, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and just keeps you relating to your clients as well. Right. And I just wish that I could hold on to that and like 
nibble on it when I'm in the crisis and be like, mm, 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 remember, you're going to need this later. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I want to eat it, but that's what I want to do. <laughs> I get those moments too of like, I will catch myself judging somebody else. And then I'm like, oh, watch out. Universe is listening. They're going to get you. <laughs> Karma's a bitch. Exactly. Oh well, we had initially talked about doing this episode where you guys were interviewing me and I flipped the script and said that I wanted to interview you. But do you have any questions that y'all wanted to ask me? I know Margaret has a list over there. <laughs> <laughs> You're damn straight. <laughs> um, you know me. All right. Uh, well, actually, this is perfect timing. One of the questions I do have, just following the terms healer and wounded healer. Now, Sarah, throughout your podcast, you know, a lot of your interviews circle around what these terms mean to people. So I'm just really curious, how has your definitions of the names healer and wounded healer evolved over the life of this podcast? And have there been any specific interviews that really help with the evolution of those terms for you? That is such a great question that I was really supposed to think about and I didn't, but here I am. Has it evolved? You know, like we were just talking about, I think when I'm able to be in my most like adult self and reflective of all of it, I am so much more appreciative of the wounded healer piece rather than I've historically really like, I've felt very shameful about my past, about, you know, being who I was like really kind of acting out a lot of my shame and, and depression and anxiety and all of that. And, and I've really wanted to like pretend that that girl doesn't exist anymore, but I'm really coming to much more deeply internally appreciating how much these wounds have informed what I get to do with my life now uh, and how important it is. And it's just an accumulation of hearing the same answers over and over again. You know, like when I think about it, was there one particular interview? No, because everybody says the same thing. You know, and I don't say that in a negative way. I thought I would get bored after a while of asking the same questions, but it just continues to reaffirm what I feel internally. And and that's, you know, one of my childhood wounds is being really gaslit as a child and and always feeling like I need to get some sort of external validation for what I know internally to be true. And so this podcast has really been that for me, being able to hear people say what I feel is like one of the biggest gifts that I can get. Yeah, and the say, I mean, in a lot of podcasts, I think you're right. I hear a lot of the same types of answers, mm -hmm. but the amazing thing is each person is gonna have a little bit of a different perspective on it or right. a different, different word for it. And it's so amazing mm -hmm. to put all those together and you can see all the different ways that the same thing can be, can be worded a little bit differently. Right. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you. Yeah. So you've talked a bit about how, like, again, this year has been a really hard year for you. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what your biggest takeaways and what your biggest lessons have been. And also, how mm. are you doing? Oh, God. <laughs> um. Okay. So it's interesting because I really, I try to be, I try to be really mindful about the level of vulnerability that I share on here because you know, I still have to be a professional, right? And at the same time, I've started listening back to some of the episodes that I recorded when I was kind of at my worst, which was probably like end of August of 2019 to about two weeks ago. And the way that I'm judging myself in those episodes is they're so, they felt so much more me focused. And I just recognize like that's, that's all I had 
I was trying so hard to, so hard to hold on to myself, you know? And like you said, Rachel, like this, when your nervous system is out of whack, it is so hard to be inside your body. It's so hard to be okay. And so am I okay right now? Like I'm okay in this moment. And what I've really learned a lot, truthfully, through getting NARM therapy, I've really learned more and more that like giving every moment that I feel okay, like time to breathe, even if it's not a whole day where I feel great, even if it's just like a couple minutes, it's so important to recognize that that happened. And it doesn't have to be like, I'm crazy all the time if, if I've got this one moment to breathe, you know? Yeah. Did that, was that your question? I don't, I feel like I sometimes I just start talking and (laughs) that was a great answer. (laughs) I lose myself. Yeah. The other thing that it's making me think of, so it was probably 2016 when I went into my therapist, Susan, and was like, I'm going to learn how to fucking love myself this year. God damn it. And one of the things that I did was, I'm sure you both are familiar with Sounds True. Yeah. So I went on Sounds True and I found they had this course on self-acceptance that was free. And it was like, I don't know, probably 20 or more videos of different professionals talking about self-acceptance and self-love. And I watched probably four or five videos because I was like, Margaret, I was like taking fucking notes. I'm going to get this shit and write it down and have it organized. And after about five videos and writing all these things down, I realized that the answer was everybody struggles with this. Yeah. And that's part of it. And so I kind of imagined that I was going to wake up one day and arrive at self-acceptance. But instead, I recognized that practicing self-compassion is absolutely necessary. And it's so, it's been so hard these past couple months because I feel like I've been turned inside out and I'm just a raw nerve walking around in the world. But yeah, self-compassion is, it's everything. I, I think that's the answer. It's just hard to get to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I actually never even really thought about self-compassion at all until I needed it so fucking bad. I had no other choice. Right. You get broken down. Mm-hmm. Good questions. <laughs> Margaret has like 70 more, so go on. <laughs> I actually have a little bit of a list, so don't not trying to like show oh, you okay. up, Margaret. All right. <laughs> okay. But I'm trying to decide. I literally like had this like notes on my phone and like as they came to my mind, I just kind of jotted some down. Mm-hmm. So some are like bullshit questions, some are better than others. Uh, sure. Oh, I did have a question. Since, you know, it's like 100th episode, so we could do like a look back on on the mm. 100 episodes. So just, is there an episode that was like most meaningful or most inspiring to you or maybe like a moment on an episode? Mm-hmm. I would be interested to hear that. Yes. You know, Michelle Winston's episode, I can't remember what number it was, but it came out, I think, in February of 2019. That was such an important episode for me. So if folks haven't listened to it yet, Michelle was my intern, actually. She was my first intern when I had become a licensed clinical social worker. And she was just someone that I really enjoyed working with. And then as she moved on in her career and I moved on in mine, we you know, became friends. And she's a black woman and I'm obviously a white woman. And one of the things I'd never really talked to her about was, was race. And we were talking, I can't even remember what we were talking about, but I was just like, you know, as she had mentioned, you know, I did this piece of writing when I was in grad school about the experience of learning about your race through the lens of white people. And she's like, I'd really love to share that piece with you. And 
the writing that she shared was just so impactful. And I've, you know, it was probably the end of 2018. I had an experience, really a a smack in the face about how I had not done my work around anti-racism. And at that moment, I was like, essentially, people of color are not supposed to walk us through how to be anti-racist, right? So we need to figure that out ourselves. And I was in this Facebook group and I was fine with whatever the people of color were saying, but I was really fucking pissed when the other white people were saying, oh yeah, just like do your work. And I was like, you know what? Somebody needs to help us. <laughs> Somebody needs to talk about this. And and so at that moment, I was like, I'm going to I'm going to help other white people who are experiencing shame and experiencing white fragility and and give a shame free space for people to like work through it and shame free, not meaning that we're not going to challenge some of the things that come up, but in a shame free way so that so that people feel comfortable, like coming to the table and having the conversation and my conversation with Mishera, I don't know, she just laid it out in a way that was so I was able to connect to on such a deep level and that really has helped me continue my own anti-racism work. So that's that's one of my favorite episodes. And and she said, you know, her motto is like eat eat snacks, uh, take naps. And I'm like, well, you're the fucking best human <laughs> ever. <laughs> I love it. I remember listening to her episode when it came out earlier this year. And I'll have to go back and listen to it again because I remember I just really resonated with it. And I, I believe at the time I was actually taking a sociology course. And I think it just happened to be, it was like, her episode dropped on a week we were studying racism from a sociological perspective. And I remember listening to her podcast and it just really helped cement some things in for me during That's that awesome. course. Yeah. Do you guys have favorites? Favorite episodes? Oh, man. I, I, I feel like I listen to some and then I'm like, that was so good. And then I forget which one it is. Right. <laughs> They're all so good. They it's are. Hard. They really are. <laughs> I have one. I think it was more... I mean, again, it's like, they're all good. It's super hard to pick. There was one that just really resonated with me because it was, I think, earlier on when I started listening to the podcast. And so many of those early episodes were just so huge for me because of where I was mm. at in my life. And I think one that was very impactful was, I think it was Kelly Kitley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was episode 10. Yeah. So way back at the beginning, but she, just her coming from being the oldest of a lot of children, yeah, you know, yeah. and having having abuse in her in her childhood mm -hmm. and the religion aspect, certain parts of the religion mm -hmm. that really resonate with me because I can relate to aspects of her story. Rachel, did you come up with one? Uh, so I can't remember who it was. I actually have been meaning to go back and listen to this episode, but I couldn't figure out which one it was. But there's well, tell me and I'm sure I can. I'm tell you sure you know who it is. Mm -hmm. So there's a woman who's a therapist. I think she wrote like a memoir, I think. That's Kelly. Is it? OK, so is she the one that like struggled with alcohol? Yeah. Yes, oh. that's Kelly. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> Perfect. So episode how, 10. Okay, there great. you go. Perfect. <laughs> how funny. Um, yeah. So I just thought it was really beautiful how she shared. Mm -hmm. Like I was a therapist and I was still drinking too mm -hmm. much and I would go, you know, into work hungover. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, that is incredible. The amount of vulnerability and bravery mm -hmm. that it takes to admit to something like that. And it just reinforces, you know, basically what I feel like is a theme of your show, which is that like, right. you know, we're these healers or we're in this profession and we're doing this work, but like we have broken pieces too, and we're human and we're mm -hmm. doing our work, but like 
sometimes it's messy and sometimes it's complicated and that's okay. It does not disqualify us from the work that we're doing. Um, And I just was really grateful that she was able to share such a, you know, dark piece of her life. Did you guys buy her book? Well, I couldn't find the episode. (laughs) I should have just asked you. Um, Yeah. But I definitely want to read her book. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. How funny that we thought of the same episode. I know. know. Well, That's crazy. Funny. Great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She really had, I think, a great example of the parallel process there. You're going through the healing at the same time that your client is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other final questions, thoughts, musings? So on your podcast album or the cover picture, the skull, mm-hmm. person holding a skull, where did that come from? Um. So his name is Charlie and... We met in Santa Fe. I was there for an addiction and spirituality conference. And have either of you been to Santa Fe? No, but it's like on my bucket list. You got to go. You guys would fucking (laughs) love it. So if you're in downtown Santa Fe, there's just this one little strip. There's like a little downtown area, but there's like the main drag is a really tiny, like cobblestone, maybe even street. And so I would walk to Starbucks every day because I have to have my fucking chai. I don't drink coffee. It has to be Starbucks chai. It's <laughs> ridiculous, but whatever. So I walked every day and I saw the skull in the window of the shop. And every time I walked by, the store was closed and I kept looking at him and I was like, you are, you're something. I don't know about you. I don't know how expensive you are, but I just am in love with you. And I just kept going back. And finally there was a note on the door, I think that said like, call this number if you want to come to the store. And so finally I got the courage to call and I went in and and his name is Charlie because the guy who owned it, his name is Charlie. And the the store is no longer there. My husband and I were there in May and he, he's still there. He moved the store and it looks very different. And I never would have seen it if he wasn't on the main strip at that point in time. But when I had the, you know, I don't even remember like exactly how the idea came to be for the podcast, except for, you know, having had the interview with Andrea, but all of the the outline for it, the album art, all of these things were just downloaded. And I just, I knew that I wanted a picture of me holding him in my hands and that being because that you know he's got the crack in the skull I don't know if you can tell in that picture but but there's a big crack in his head and I was just like this is a this this is it like it's pyrite so it's it's a beautiful like gold color and he's also broken as shit you know like that is it wow yeah the beauty and the brokenness yeah wow. Yeah. And he was expensive, which also symbolizes how expensive it is to heal oneself. (laughs) That motherfucker was not cheap. (laughs) Rachel, did you have anything else? I guess I did have a question related to what I guess I keep kind of talking about is just like your authenticity in terms of like being a therapist and like, you know, being open and real and all that. Was that ever a struggle for you or did you just jump out the gate like, here I am, I'm going to be real? Yes and no. So it wasn't a struggle in that I cannot be anything but authentic. I just can't. And that's why I think I was chronically suicidal in my childhood because I had to suppress and repress a lot of myself and so turn that inward. But in my adult life, it's hard for me to not be myself. I was myself, but I didn't really have the confidence to be my full self. And then 
hearing Brene Brown's work on authenticity gave me more permission to step into myself. And then truly, like, the longer I'm in this field, the more I'm just like, well, fuck it. I own my own business now. Who's yeah. going to stop me right. from being me? Yeah. <laughs> if I, I you know, it. when I was working for other people, it was different because I did have to, you know, comply with, sure. I worked at a hospital. And so, you know, I definitely had to dress a certain way that was not how I would normally want to dress. And I didn't, I didn't have a full sleeve of tattoos and like the mohawk until I, I work for myself. Yeah. Cool. One last question I do yeah. have, since I'm a social work student and Rachel's looking to possibly go back to school for mm -hmm. something related in that field. Is there anything that any piece of advice that you could give us or, yeah, I don't know, anything. Lots anything would be appreciated. <laughs> Lots of advice. We'll take it. So first of all, you're not going to learn everything in school. Like when you graduate, you're going to know like the eensy beensy teensiest bit of what you need to do in the work. It's a lot of it is just time in the water. And then the other piece of it is getting advanced level trainings. I know that they're really expensive, but that's that's where you really, really learn some of this deep stuff because you you know, the two year degree, you just get a very basic understanding of everything. Right. So one, you know, nothing when you graduate Two you know more than you think when you graduate. <laughs> because, I mean, I was highlighting my books like a motherfucker. And I, my brother, look, he picked up a book and literally like a whole page is highlighted. He's like, what is the point of this? This is not, this is not how you do this. But I think it actually helped me to absorb everything. And, and when I graduated and started, like kind of Margaret, like you said, with these teaching things where something comes out of your mouth and you're like, who said that? Yep. <laughs> That's what happened a lot earlier in my career. And I I recognize that even though I didn't have the experience, I, I really did learn a lot. So it's kind of this like, yes, and that you don't know anything and you know a lot at the same time. And everybody goes through that like incubation period of feeling like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a total imposter. And it happens again. Like I'm, I'm training in NARM right now and I feel like a new fucking therapist all over again. And so now I'm having not really, well, yeah, I guess confidence issues with like, you know, how I practice because I'm trying to do a whole different thing. So, you know, it's going to, like you said, Margaret, that spiral, it's going to continue to spiral throughout your career. Do you feel that the, you've been struggling with self-compassion a lot? Do you feel that's tied in with imposter syndrome? Do you think those two are linked in oh, some ways for, for sure. you? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. The more I'm able to practice compassion, the more I'm able to sit with just sit with the feeling that I don't feel good about myself. Whereas if I'm not practicing self-compassion, I'm going to let myself just beat myself up more. And then that leads to, oh, you're a fucking fraud. <laughs> Always. Well, you guys, I think this is pretty amazing. I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm happy as fuck. Yeah, I feel good. This is really nice. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for having us on here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you. I wanted to make sure to tell you you know, where other listeners get to hear, like, you know, I, I say all the time that I'm, a, I'm appreciative of my listeners, but, but you guys, you two OGs who have reached out and, you know, we've got the little Patreon group and the two of you are the only ones who've really taken, taken me up on like really wanting to connect and, and, um, you know, spend some time talking with each other. And this podcast fills my soul and my heart in so many ways. And it would be pointless if it weren't really, helping other people and touching other people. And so the fact that you guys resonate and, and you show up and you connect, I just really couldn't ask for more. 
Well, thank oh, you. And such. we thank appreciate you, so you much, for, for making the podcast at all. I mean, I, I'm just grateful that I found it. However the fuck I found it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Same here. Yes, Sarah. I mean, I feel like your podcast really helped me just, it, it helped give me a little bit of a sense of direction in a time in my life where I really needed it. I know that I found your podcast at that perfect moment where I just, I needed to hear that what I was feeling was okay. And that, you know, I wasn't too wounded to be able to work for the wound and be able to help other people one day, hopefully. So yeah. thank you for that. And I look forward to working alongside both of you at some point. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. Wasn't that pretty cool? I'm just, <sighs> can I say the word grateful again? Will it be too annoying for you? So I'm obviously really grateful for Rachel and Margaret for taking this time with me today. And if you also want to have conversations, please go to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash wounded healer. That's W-O-U-N-D-H-E-A-L-R. No E-R, just R at the end. Trying to go with continuity, friends. Anyway, thank you so much for, for joining us today. If you want to find out more information about Rachel and Margaret, please go to our website at www.headhearttherapy.com slash podcast. Thanks as always to the Creative Imposter Studios for editing and producing, to Liam O'Donnell for our album art, and to Ben Mueller for our theme music. Thanks again. Until next time. Bye-bye.